and welcome to Queers Did That, a queer history podcast. I'm your host, Amanda. I'm Katie. Hi, Katie. How are you? Oh, my knee hurts. I mean, I know those feels. <laughs> but that's just because I'm getting old, not because I did anything to it. You're not getting old. If mm. you're getting old, then I'm old. Yep. Oh, well, you sure are like, no, you're not <laughs> old. So now I'm just old. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Sorry. Well, I guess that's that's life. <laughs> Getting older. <laughs> Time ticking on. Yeah. Sorry. What are we talking about today? We are talking about protesting because I like talking about protesting. Mm-hmm. And this is specifically about three protests before Stonewall, pre-Stonewall era, mm-hmm. that kind of led to the Stonewall riots. Also, there's some stuff we talked about in the Philadelphia Annual Reminders, our first episode. If you haven't listened to it, you should do that because it's great. And self-promotion, <laughs> I think it's important. But we talked about that, one of them, we talked about that in our first episode. So there'll be some overlap, but it's just in a little bit more detail. So Gotcha. So I might actually know what's going on? Maybe. Oh. so the first one we're going to talk about is la's cooper's donuts cooper's donuts of 1959 is that the one i feel like i saw cameron esposito where where it was it a hat or the shirt she it was something with donuts and it was probably that probably okay that's interesting go on cooper's donuts opened in 1959 in the Skid Row neighborhood of, of L.A., which was welcoming to the transgender community at the time. The shop served policemen during the day, and as patrols dwindled during the nighttime, they opened the stores to trans people and those barred from other establishments. So it was kind of cops by day, queer people by night. Did they just sell donuts to the queers? I guess. I mean, I think it's one of those, like, you have a physical building to, like, be able to exist in. Right. So, so I think it, it was more like that, too, as well. But, you know, like their New York counterparts in the 1950s, the LAPD sucked <laughs> what in its treatment of gay and trans people. Weird. That's, that's yeah. I know so, that. So unlike the L.A. police. I know that's shocking to you. <laughs> That police across the country at the same period of time would act the same way. Yes. It's weird. <laughs> Anywho, one evening, two police officers did come in asking for ID cards from the customers at the shop. And basically, this is a way to, this was a very common way of harassing gay people because a lot of people were obviously still closeted or how they looked it didn't match their id so it was kind of a way of like intimidating people because they didn't want to be outed in any way right they picked out john recce who was a, a gay author who was who has in the future obviously written about the uprising he said they picked quote two hustlers two queens and a young man just cruising one of the people that they grabbed was like basically f this shit uh, i'm tired of this very much like stonewall in the future and 
he objected to the car being packed with five people because they only had one police car. So they were shoving everyone in the police car. And that one guy fought back and kind of inspired other customers to flood the streets, throwing coffee cups, trash, spoons, donuts. (laughs) I was hoping donuts would be thrown. Basically anything they could get their hands on, they started basically throwing shit because, you know, people had enough. And the cops fled into the car and obviously called for backup. And Wait, wait, wait. The cops ran away from donuts? Yes. Into their police car. (laughs) And soon but you know if the whole street was just like crazy and you know they said that um recky also stated that gay people were dancing around cars <laughs> so we were just chilling out going crazy dancing as we do mark thompson who was a social historian who lived in that neighborhood said quote i would not describe it as a riot but much more like an isolated patch of local social unrest that had lasting repercussions I think less in its day, more as a lesson for us today. LA is such a huge, sprawling city, so what happened in one district probably did not register elsewhere, especially when issues of class and race are factored in. Hmm. So one of the things I think is interesting, because you have, unfortunately, you have Stonewall being treated as the beginning of the gay rights movement. And obviously that didn't exist in a vacuum. Things had to have happened before. There's no possible way that would make sense. So I think it's one of those things. And what's very specific about Stonewall is the fact that they came back the next year. And kind of like the Philadelphia Animal Minders, they came back to remember it. Versus this is a story about a bunch of queens and you know, people throwing donuts and dancing cars around cars, which is obviously very important and right. added to the movement and people being generally fed up with police treatment of queer people. But at the same time, it wasn't it wasn't celebrated mm-hmm. or memorialized in the same way that Stonewall will be, because really there isn't anything at this point. There wasn't anything at this point that you know, g- gay people coming together. And celebrating a part of their history isn't something that happened. This happened at this point in the United States. So what happened to Cooper's Donuts? I don't know. I mean, I think it's fine. Oh, so it's not like the police came back to like... I think the police came back, but like the whole street was just like a bunch of gay people dancing around. I'm going to look up Cooper's Donuts and see if they're... What's going on? Well, you know, I just would have figured that the police would have found some way to shut them down. I mean, I'm sure they... I mean, they definitely shut them down eventually. It's not like it's still going. <laughs> there isn't... Another thing about this, too, and I think it's it's difficult as well, that you have a lot of these events in history fleshed out, or there's not a lot of details about them, because you didn't have people obviously recording anything they didn't have that technology you also had you know there was specific in LA you know people of color obviously happened in the Stonewall but things obviously unfortunately get erased even within our own community and also the people who were alive during that time most likely died of AIDS mm. so yes. you have a the AIDS crisis wiping out 
a large chunk of history, especially that wasn't established as something we we did every year, like Stonewall, because that existed at least during the crisis. But anything else to like celebrate and remember kind of got swept under because there wasn't that many people left that were first-hand accounts. Right. So. That makes sense. In 2008, Cooper's Donuts became the Daily Grind, and in 2013, it became Mrs. Chapman's Angel Food Donuts, and in 2014, it turned into a Dunkin' Donuts. Oh. <laughs> Dunkin' planned to demolish the building and was not interested in keeping the, you know, the sign, like the donut sign, but because it, it didn't fit with their corporate image, mm-hmm. but the, it... They removed the sign, but it, they moved it to Long Beach, so it exists. The donut sign exists. It's not where it was. No. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the first instances that really brought police harassment of LGBTQ people into, I mean, it was nighttime, but basically into the light of day because, haha, yes. Because a lot of this stuff was happening in bars or was happening to people cruising, it wasn't happening in a large group of, and it wasn't, when it was happening in a large group, people weren't fighting back because they were afraid of being outed. So this kind of, it literally poured into the streets. So it was very, it was harder to ignore Mm -hmm. than it had been previously. So that was L.A. Cooper's Donuts. Not really a riot, more like a dance party, but still (laughs) super important. Yes. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting, too, and I'm far from a historian, but I do think it's interesting that you have the roots of the gay civil rights movement with people dancing around cars and doing all this stuff, and when you have counter-protests for groups like Westboro Baptist or any of those types of groups, you know, when I was in grad school they it was private property so they were across the street but then my school had a huge dance party and was just blasting lady gaga and everyone was just dancing and having a good time like next to them so i I think it's interesting that that's still like very prevalent in our culture even though like some things get erased or like forgotten but there's still very like prominent aspects of it that still remain well when mike pence came to philadelphia a couple of years ago right there, there oh yeah party yeah philadelphia had a dance party <laughs> so yeah it's still it's still there because i think you know i think even then and now obviously these these things haven't changed but really one of the biggest ways of resistance I think has been and probably will always be joy because you have people wanting to harass us and be like Mike Pence or Westboro Baptist and the greatest fuck you essentially is that's great. I'm going to have a dance party. I don't really give a shit what you're saying. Right. Which, you know, I'm glad that's part of our history because it's fun. Next protest, Uh riot. We shall talk about the Compton's Cafeteria Riot of 1966. You do not know anything about this. No idea what this is. Compton's Cafeteria was a chain of cafeterias. Like, you had... I mean, that that was kind of more popular of, like, how food and restaurants, you kind of went in, like, a school cafeteria. Right. So... Was this in 
Compton. It was owned by Gene Compton. Oh, it's so misleading. Okay. It is in San Francisco from the 1940s, 1970s. So this is in San Francisco. Still California, just Mm -hmm. more north. So this is the Tenderloin location. Tenderloin? Yeah, that's it's a neighborhood in San Francisco. Tenderloin. Yeah. Look, we have weird neighborhood names too. Name one. Um wait, now you're making me think of one. Yeah, we don't have weird ones. I mean we do, but I can't think of them right now. That's fine. You can continue. Port Richmond. That's weird. It's not weird. Is it's not? No. Fishtown. All right. It's a little weird. I'll give it to you. Thank you. Yeah. Is, and also, like, all of South Philly is, like, South Philly, which I think is not That's true. Dickinson Narrows. I think that just proves my point right there. Port, East Passion Crossing, Lower Moy Mensing, Point Breeze, New Bold. Yeah, so I'm sure most people who are listening to this outside of seeing Philadelphia are like, wow, those are really stupid names. So pretty much Tenderloin. All right. Kind of the same thing. Sure. (laughs) There was a bunch of different locations of the cafeterias, but this one, this riot happened at the one in San Francisco in the Tenderloin district. This one was open from 1954 to 1972. And again, this was... One of the few places where trans people, especially trans women, could congregate publicly in the city because they were also unwelcome in gay bars because of transphobia. Mm -hmm. That's a whole other episode. I'm so glad we've moved on from that. But the problem was that, so they were very opening at first and like welcoming, but by like the 1960s, the staff of the cafeteria started calling the police to crack down on trans people who were frequent at the restaurant. Because nothing says making money like calling the cops on the people who regularly frequent your restaurant. How dare you spend your money here regularly. Right? I don't... Yeah. They felt... The management felt that they were loitering and causing them to lose more desirable business, even though we're talking about late at night. We're not talking about... I mean, even if it wasn't late at night, but we're talking about, like, late at night. Because a lot of these women were sex workers, and they would come in after their work. So we're not, we're talking about the wee hours of the morning. We're not talking about, no one coming into a a diner or cafeteria at 2 o'clock in the morning, like, just randomly is (laughs) a more desirable person. (laughs) So because of this, they called the cops. And they also implemented a service fee directed at trans individuals and basically harassed them to get them to leave the restaurant. This is great business 101. I'm not a business expert, but somehow this seems like a bad idea. Wait, so did they only charge a service fee to trans people? It seemed like that, yes. But like, how do you, like... I guess you have a group of people coming in at a certain point at night, every night. Mm, yeah. So... Yeah, I don't know how, it doesn't say how much the fee was. I mean, it's stupid that there's a fee at all, but it doesn't say how much. They, the trans community launched a picket of this cafeteria. It wasn't successful, but it was one of the first demonstrations against police violence towards trans people in San Francisco. On the first night of the riot, Compton's called the police 
when some trans customers quote became raucous i don't <laughs> i want to know what that what know that what that means <laughs> i'm sure they were like hey don't treat us like shit and they're like raucous <laughs> shenanigans i'm going to call the cops <laughs> which is what i'm guessing what happened so i think again when the cops were called the riot started because the place erupted because they tried to you know they they didn't just arrest people they like were harassing them and doing all this stuff so dishes were in furniture were thrown plate glasses were thrown out the windows very similar to what happened in la Mm -hmm. people were like this is bullshit i'm a throw shit which you know we tried we tried doing that picketing thing but let's just smash some shit instead which Mm -hmm. you know agree with please call reinforcements as the fighting spilled into the streets and a police car had its windows broken and a sidewalk newsstand was burned down there was dozens of people who fought back against the police who were trying to force them into cop cars they had more than one cop car this time <laughs> more prepared yeah well i guess because there's more than five of them so you know mm-hmm. five to a still but you still needed more than one yeah after that night the next night you had more trans people and street workers and just like homeless people came to join a picket which would allow trans people to come back in the demonstration ended with a newly installed plate glass windows being smashed again <laughs> and so what's interesting about this is that they don't have the exact date of this because the 1960 police records don't exist and the riot they probably digitize things and the riot wasn't covered by newspapers no one there isn't actually like a record record of this happening besides people saying it Hmm. i don't know I'm sure people know when it was specifically, but there's no like police record or newspaper record of this happening. That's crazy. Yeah, and, and like that, this is, and that, and that's why things kind of disappear because, and the importance of representation and like actual things that happen because then they're like, oh well, we're not going to write about it, or oh, we're not going to have that police report anymore, and then we don't talk about windows being smashed two days in a row because that shit's hilarious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because that's what you should get when you call the cops on your own customers. <laughs> Fun fact. Still weeds. Yeah. That was the Compton riots, which were more of a riot than... The third and final one we're going to talk about, there's probably a lot more. I just, you know... Again, no one wants to hear me talk for an hour. It's fine. <laughs> is the Dewey's lunch counter sit-in of 1965. And this is what we talked about before. Yes, this is what we mentioned in the Philadelphia Animal Reminders, which kind of led to that. But this is a little bit more specific and just connecting it with the other two. Dewey was a chain of hamburger restaurants in the Philadelphia area. But what? There was two locations, one at 208 South 13th Street, and 219 South 17th Street became gathering places for LGBT LGBT people in the 1960s. 
So there's a whole chain of them, but these two specifically, the gays decided to hang out because Rittenhouse, we learned in the other one, Rittenhouse was a popular area for gay people to congregate anyway. Mm-hmm. And bars were getting raided by Rizzo and all his other lovely assholes. They were like, okay, let's find not a secret bar owned <laughs> by the mafia. Let's hang out in the burger chain, which, you know, makes sense. I think it makes sense. The sit-in took place specifically at the 17th Street Dewey's. It started when Dewey's management was instructed to refuse service to, quote, gender variant teenagers. Again, I don't know exactly. Specifically teenagers, too. Yeah, it says teenagers. I mean, basically, probably anyone who was gender nonconforming, anyone who, quote, appeared to be gay or lesbian, or, quote, otherwise challenged accepted gender conventions so basically anyone who just looked weird essentially to them <laughs> you're out we are not going to serve you which yeah. kind of obviously didn't go well the teenagers joined forces with the janice society which mm-hmm. we talked about previously was one of the early um lgbt organizations they they joined together to protest this policy on april 25th 1965, 150 people were refused service at the 17th Street Dewey's. Think of all the hamburgers they could sell. So three teenagers and Clark Pollock, who was the president of the Janus Society at the time, were arrested and found guilty of disorderly conduct. Yeah, no, it's like, maybe you should just serve people food when they want food. I feel like now it's it's more about the money like you know like yeah you still get discrimination but if you're like a big like corporation like a chain thing like there's a big yeah we'll take we'll take all that money yeah but then it's more of the problem now what they do with the money yes versus taking it they'll take it and then use it to swiftly kick us in the ass it's true looking at you chicken sandwiches lemonade looking at you they have lemonade I mean, I'm that's one of the things people are like, oh, but the lemonade's so good. I've never had the lemonade. I'm like, great. I like my rights, though. I still, I still like their chicken sandwich. Well, yeah, but we're not buying them. No. <laughs> I, I think they're delicious, too. No one's like arguing against the deliciousness of it. It's more of the injustice of it after the fact. Yes. <laughs> but yes. So in this time period, it was more like, we're just going to refuse your service because we can't. After those arrests, the Janus Society demonstrated outside of that Dewey's location and distributed over 1,500 leaflets over the course of five days. On May 2nd, 1965, there was another small set in the place. Police were present, but no arrests were made, and which led to Dewey's discontinuance policy of denying service to those who appeared gay. So this led to the annual reminders, which, you know, this kind of inspired that group of people to protest outside of Independence Hall in the beginning of July for four years until Stonewall happened, in which they stopped, which was then, you know, kind of having those annual reminders sort of shaped... And paved the way for after Stonewall to have 
moments in like a day specifically dedicated to be remembering and celebrating and focusing on gay rights specifically that was probably the least violent of the three Mm -hmm. and it was in philadelphia so what what (laughs) look we don't have the best reputation sometimes it's true out of all the cities well no la well that wasn't even that violent either no it was san francisco so there you go so because of all these three things that happened led to and i'm sure there are countless other incidents that were smaller and similar to these as well that probably had the same general mental effect across the gay community in the united states it was finally you know there was this mentality of like keep your head down don't get bothered you know don't get outed essentially and you know kind of just live your life in secret and how cops treat you or how cops treat you and it sucks but you know what are you gonna do about it and then people are like i'm gonna smash a fucking window pane and throw donuts (laughs) (laughs) that's what i'm going to and people are like oh yeah i can do that too yeah you kind of had these like little moments and bigger moments leading up to what is seen as the pinnacle and shift of the gay rights movement and obviously could not have existed without these three events or again many other ones that probably were never recorded so i think it's interesting and i think it's important because especially in gay history that that the 50s and 60s outside of like mccarthyism and like blacklisting Mm -hmm. And just gay people getting called communists because it was easier to prove that, quote-unquote, than being gay or whatever. You have that oppression being talked about, which is important, but at the same time, no one's talking about the fact that people threw a punch back, essentially, which is just as important because there was people finally coming out of the shadows and being brave enough to step into the light and say, this isn't okay, we're going to fight back you need to treat us like human beings, which is very, very incredibly brave. It always is, you know, coming out. It was super brave back then, super brave now. And I think that that's something that needs to be celebrated and, like, realized throughout our history. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so, you know, that's the protest I want to talk about today. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Mandy. You're welcome. You have anything else to add? Uh, no, I don't. Okay, I just want to give you a chance. <laughs> I want to run my mouth and not give you a chance to talk. Appreciate it. Yeah, I guess that's the end of our show. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at queersdidthat at gmail.com or tweet us at queersdidthat. And until next time, make gay history and make history gay. Bye. Bye. That's what I say about that. <laughs> <laughs>